Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man feel the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And um, today was kind of a cool day. It might be a short episode because I'm already about halfway through that commute, guys, and traffic's light because we're coming up on a holiday weekend and all. And I just gave an interview to uh, 105.3 The Fan here in Dallas about uh, modern survivalism. And unlike my earlier interview this week with Mike in the morning up in Detroit, these guys were cool and they had some legitimate questions and they busted a little bit but it was you know it was it was a good fun and i think uh it was a good interview so i'm going to see if there's any way i can get an audio clip of that if they do a podcast or anything like that and i'll uh, get in contact with uh the intern over there that set the interview up and see if he can provide that and i'll make that available uh, what I want to make sure is that I start doing uh, a lot now, because we're starting to get a lot of new listeners, to give you an idea of how much we're growing now that we've started to get a little bit of exposure friendly through the media for a change. Uh, we had 120 people join our email list yesterday. That's just the email list. That's not iTunes subscribers. That's not downloads. That's not businesses. That's not 120 people subscribed to the email list. Uh, a good day for me in the past has been about eight. A typical day has been about five or six. So we are starting to get a lot of new people. So I want to make very, very clear, when you listen to this show for the first time, second time, what have you, and you're new to this, you haven't been around here, there's times when I'll talk about the economy, politics, and whatnot, and I'll get angry. And I'll tell you what I really think. I am not telling you the way you're supposed to think. I'm giving you information. Everything that I present on this show is one man's opinion. And I give you information, and I give you opinion. And when I give you information, I'll tell you this is fact. When I give you opinion, I'll tell you this is what I think. And then you take the two together and you do what you like with it. And that will help you determine how to conduct your life and secure your future. Because this is highly, highly personal. This is not um, uh, something that I can tell you. Like the guys on the radio were like they wanted a list of things. And, uh, you know, if we would have put the interview in a little formal manner, I could have given them a good, quick 12-point bullet list or something. But, you know, well, how much food should you store? You know, and it's up to you. I want to store six months. If you store 30 days, is that enough? It's up to you. Do you feel that it's enough? And all these other decisions. That's important today because I'm going to talk about the United States economy and something that I see coming that you may or may not agree with, but I want you to understand why I see it that way, and I want you to understand why it's possible for it to occur. I want to explain some of the mechanics to you that I think we don't know, and I'm going to teach you things that people that go through college-level economic courses uh, never learn today in my car, driving down the road, at right now, almost 80 miles an hour. I'm going to teach you that. And because it's because I, you know, I've researched this stuff deeply enough that I do know the facts behind it. Before that, real quick house cleaning. If you think you get more than 25 cents an episode value out of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the Member Support Brigade and get exclusive content not available to non-members. Uh, another thing, we are having a big bug out, camp out, get together down near Goldthwaite, Texas over Memorial Day weekend. Good 
old boys getting together, hanging out, throwing some lead down range, eating barbecue. Come on, come on. Link in the show notes if you want to know more. That's being put together by Dan Tanner. If you do go, send him a thank you by email when you send him your money for your barbecue. I will be at Wilderness Waves, dirt time 09 in August in San Bernardino, California. Please come out and see me. Hang out with 13 other survival experts for a week-long intensive workshop where you'll learn everything from permaculture and uh, survival gardening from me to how to make bows and knives from experts in those crafts. People like Ron Hood, Alan Hulk, and Dude McClain will be there. Come on out. If you want to go, you better sign up soon. I talked to Alan earlier this week. He said they're almost sold out. They haven't even run the advertisement in the magazine yet. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the, the topic today. I want to talk to you about the economy, and I want to do this today. Sometimes I do get political. This is going to be completely non-political. I want you to understand the things I'm going to tell you today are true with a Republican president. They're true with a Democrat president. They're true with anybody. In fact, the fact that every time these subjects come up, people polarize to one side or another, that's what they want you to do because they don't want you to understand the truth. Because if you understood the truth, you'd be so freaking scared of what's going to eventually happen, you know, maybe not to you, but maybe your children, that you would never allow it, and people would actually act, and we would stop fighting about liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, all this other horse crap, and we'd get rid of all those jackasses up on the hill. Because we'd realize that there's no way that things can be this bad unless they are cooperating to do it. We're driving to the same place, whether we have a sticker of a donkey or an elephant on our car, doesn't matter. All right? So the first thing you have to understand is how our money works. It's like if you want to understand, you know, you can go on a diet and lose weight. You can do the right things, but if you want to understand why it works, you've got to know how, you know, when you eat food, how it breaks down, how it's converted into energy, how it's stored as fat in your body. And then you have to, then you can learn how, well, if you reduce the, it's pretty simple, right? But if you don't learn the how, you may not believe in the system, so you may not follow it. So this is how our money works today. A long, long time ago, the government realized that the government was a non-producer. It didn't produce anything. That all that it would ever do is tax people. That was it. And as a taxer, it would be a consumer. It would also be in control of the money supply. So the government thought to itself back then, and these are the days of Andy Jackson and George Washington and Tommy Jefferson, right? We suck as a government. Therefore, we'll limit our own power, and we will limit our capacity for debt, and we will limit our capacity to produce money. Because if we don't, we'll run away like idiots. This is as basic as I can make it. And what I mean by that is they said that for every dollar in existence in the United States economy, there will be gold behind the dollar. So if we issue... uh, billion dollars, which was more money than, than existed in, you know, 1800. But if we issue a billion dollars, then the United States must have somewhere a billion dollars equivalent in gold assets. And back then, and all the way up into the 1920s, if you got a $20 bill, it said redeemable for $20 in gold. And you could go down to a bank, and you would hand them the $20, and they would give you gold. And you say, how's that different today? You can buy gold today. But the two things aren't tied to each other. So the $20 would buy you almost always very close to the same amount of gold 
in one year as it would 10 years later. You go back 10, 20 years later, if $20 was an ounce, you pretty much got an ounce of gold. Gold has you know, been as high as $1,000 an ounce recently. The two diverged. And they started diverging after the creation of what's called the Federal Reserve System. That happened in 1913. Now what the Federal Reserve is, is a private institution. It is a group of international banks that produce our money for us now. The government does not produce your money. A banker prints your money. They give it to the government as a loan. That means that right now, if you stick your hand in your pocket and you pull out a $20 bill and you look at it, not only is it no longer redeemable for $20 in gold, it's not a bill for $20. It's a certificate that says our government owes $20 to somebody else plus interest. Now, that might go over your head if you've never thought about this before, but I want you to get it because it's, it's the crux of everything that we're going to talk about from here forward. That simply means that this country can never be debt-free. We can never not have national debt. And the minimum amount of debt we can have is the total amount of money in circulation plus interest. In other words, if there's $13 trillion, United States dollars, issued... We owe at least $13 trillion. If we raise the number to $14 trillion, then we owe $14 trillion plus interest. If we reduce it to $5 trillion, we still owe $5 trillion plus interest. It is an inescapable money trap, an inescapable debt trap. There is no way out of it. If you go to the Federal Reserve website and you read their explanation of how a fractional reserve money monetary system works, which is what we're under. What it says, in their own words, is if no one owed anybody anything in the United States, there would be no money. Say that again. Federal Reserve quote. If no one owed anybody money in the United States, there would be no money. The money is dependent upon debt. So now you have to understand that when we talk about giving $2 trillion to the financial institution, spending a trillion dollars on stimulus, anything that involves spending money that doesn't already exist, it increases the debt. That's part one. And it's not just because we have to borrow it. It doesn't even matter if we borrow it. We can cheat where the Fed buys its own money back. It's like a company re-pulling its own stock off the market, converting it into equity in the company internally, and changing the balance sheet even though nothing changed. Same thing. That's when you start going to runaway inflation. We'll get there in a second. Because here's what I want you to understand next. My belief is this is not the end of economic times in the United States. We have at least one more big inflationary cycle about to occur. And when that occurs, the bands will start playing. Everybody will bless the president. Oh, look what he's done. It's wonderful. Look at the market coming back. Look at housing prices rising. Oh, your gas is coming back up, but, you know, that's to be expected. That's the recovery of the economy that we've been waiting for. And what you're going to see is prices on everything begin to go up faster than they have for a very long time. It's happened in Zimbabwe, and I know this is not Zimbabwe here, but it's happened in Zimbabwe where you need about a million Zimbabwe dollars to buy a can of Coca-Cola, and it's the same system. Do I think we'll get to where you need a million U.S. dollars to buy a can of Coca-Cola? No. 
Because if we ever get to that point, there won't be any Coca-Cola to buy. I want you to think about that too. So how is the easiest way to understand what's going on here? Probably everybody listening to this show at one time or another has played a game called Monopoly. Right, Monopoly money. Right, and You hear them say Monopoly money. I want to make it clear to you why that's an accurate description and make you think about it in a way you may not have before. Monopoly seems like a simple game. you got little plastic houses and little plastic hotels, and you move a little piece around the board, and you buy property, and you sell property, and you mortgage property, and you charge each other money. And it seems pretty simple. It's a lot more complex than people realize. There's about $24,000. It's like 23 and some change or 24 and some change. I'm not sure. But the amount of money in a Monopoly game and the pricing of everything on the board is actually a fairly sophisticated economic model. The game works because the price and the money supply and the total number of potential players are all fixed. If, and you don't have to issue the money for this to happen. If you get two Monopoly games, alright, and you take all the fake Monopoly money out of one game, and double the amount of money in another game, throw the first game away, and you take $50,000 worth of Monopoly money and put it in circulation in the Monopoly game, the game breaks. It doesn't work anymore. No one ever goes broke. No one ever wins. No one ever loses. And the game doesn't work. It doesn't function. And why doesn't it function? Because the prices didn't go up accordingly. If you double the price and the fees and the fines and the income, if you double every number in the game, everything works again. The only way to make the game work is to increase the price, the wage, the expense, the fines, at the same rate that the money's been increased by. If you add 10%, you have to have a 10% hike, or it breaks. If you add 50%, you have to have a 50% hike, or it breaks. If you double it, you have to double the prices, or the game breaks. Well, folks, we're doubling the debt, which means, again, we hear we're doubling the debt. We don't think about what that must mean. The only way to double the debt is to double the money supply. Right? The money supply and the debt are the same number. If we owe $50 trillion, that means there's $50 trillion in circulation. They're tied to each other, plus interest. So how can we pay it back if we owe interest and the only place to get the money, you can't. That's the, that's the trap. So we can owe more than exists, but the debt will has to be at minimum the total amount of money plus a percentage. Again, every dollar, every $5 bill, every $20 bill, every quarter penny nickel in your pocket is a certificate for debt. Back to the Federal Reserve System, plus interest beyond the face value. So it doesn't matter if it's Barack Obama doubling the debt or George Bush doubling the debt, which he did as well. And it doesn't matter when you look at the economy during, you know, the middle of the Bush years and when it looks really good. And you look at it at the end and go, it looks really crappy. It's the same thing going on. The inflationary cycle creates the illusion 
of prosperity. And we hear about this boom and bust cycle, boom and bust, and Barack Obama's out. We have to stop the boom and bust cycle that we're stuck in. We're not going to stop the boom and bust cycle. That's part of the fundamentals of capitalism. So either we have the doldrums and constant bust of socialism, or we have the boom and bust of capitalism. The thing about the boom and bust of capitalism, as long as the money is tied to a commodity, it's controlled. It can only fall so far because it can only run up so high. You think about it, if you if you fall off the top of your countertop, you can only get so hurt unless you land square on your head. If you climb up on top of your refrigerator, you can get hurt a little bit worse. If you climb up on top of your roof, you can get killed. But if you go up 50,000 feet in an airplane and they drop you out of it without a parachute, you have no choice but to die. It's impossible. The crash will kill you. Actually, it's a sudden stop at the bottom that kills you, but we'll let that go. You get my point. And here's the other thing about that analogy. While you fall that 50,000 feet, it'll probably feel like you're flying. It'll probably feel exhilarating. It'll feel great. It'll seem like nothing's wrong in the world until... That's the danger of what I think is about to occur. How high will the next inflationary cycle run? I don't know. And will it be the last one? I don't know. I'll tell you that it has the potential to be a big crash at the end. Something that makes what we're going through right now, and everybody's going, oh, this is terrible. And the guys that interviewed me today, good guys, but they're like, you know, it's too late for people now. They already went through that. No. No, it's not too late right now. There's still work. You can still take care of paying off your debt. You can still solidify your income. You can still take the money you're earning today. Instead of putting it all into risk, you can put some of it into conservative things that make it more safe, like cash, CDs, gold, silver. You can still do these things. My fear is that we'll have a crash big enough where maybe you won't be able to do these things. And here's the scary part. I'm not going to predict when, because I can't, and no one can. And when people tell you, by 2014, we will... Uh, nonsense. Right? You're back into this foil hat brigade stuff where these people think that there's the evil Illuminati and 33-degree masons and they're controlling the world. And then I, if I know what they know, then I'll know when they plan to spring the trap. Right? This is just nonsense. We're looking at the natural consequence. There's no conspiracies necessary for these things to be true. You take a private entity and you allow it to control a nation's money supply, it becomes the wealthiest entity in the world by enslaving the nation into debt. It's a natural thing to happen. Wouldn't you? If you could have every man, woman, and child in America owing you money, wouldn't you? Especially if you were a family whose entire life was built on making money, like a Rothschild, all right? We don't have to have conspiracies for this to be the case. The Rothschilds are key players in the Federal Reserve. They list them by name. They're in there. You can go on the website and look them up. So what we do have to understand, and, and this is what's being said by a man named David Walker. He was the chief accountant for the United States through three presidents. Three different presidents this guy served under. What David Walker's telling us is just in Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, there's a $55 trillion hole in how much we owe versus how much we can afford to pay. 
55 trillion dollars. We're fretting right now because our current administration wants to take the debt from about 10 trillion to 20 trillion. It's not exactly that rounded off, but get that into your head. 10 to 20 trillion. David Walker says between now and 2050, there's a 50 trillion dollar hole in just three government programs. Three. And then by the time that hole becomes evident, and we have to fill it, that those three programs will outweigh the entire rest of the government combined, and at that point, we have no money left. It all has to fund those three programs. So either they go away, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid collapse on themselves, because they have to, or we don't have any money left for roads, defense, infrastructure, anything. Nothing else. It will be 100% of the gross domestic product of the United States government. That's David. Again, David Walker, chief accountant of the United States. He was the comptroller general. Three presidential administrations. No axe to grind. He's just telling you, I counted the beans, and this is how they add up. So this is the state that we're in. And it's important to understand, and I know this doesn't sound like you know, the survival, you know, we should be making fire with a stick and, and, a, and, a, and a hand drill and whatever, and, and we'll talk about primitive survival skills, we'll talk about storing food. But you've got to understand the threats that are out there, and the economic one is a big one. And when you understand the threat, you start to understand how to prepare for it. So let's talk about how you prepare for the economic threat that's out there. Well, the first thing that you do to, to deal with this economic threat is you get your own debt under control. It is impossible for our nation to be free of debt, but it's not impossible for you to be free of debt. That $20 bill in your pocket that's a certificate for debt, you don't owe it. Your government owes it. So even though it's debt, it doesn't directly, directly affect you. It long-term will affect you if you don't understand the game and play it right. You'll get owned. To quote my son, they'll own you, and they will own you. They say pwned, I guess, right? But you'll be owned, and you'll be enslaved to debt if you don't understand this. So you get your own debt under control. The next thing you have to understand is things will continue to go up in price. So the best thing to do with your money is invest it in safe, diversified investments, which at times, at times are the stock market. It's just not yet. It's not now. And, if, and what, do I, what am I going to tell you to do if you've already lost the money and it's still sitting in the stocks? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to your advisor. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself based on your own personal needs and goals. I'm not a financial advisor, but I had no problem in August of 2008, in July of 2008, say, take your money out of the market. I knew that was the time to do it. And I'm sorry I can't help you with that now. I really am. I wish more people would have been listening then. Because it feels good when I get an email saying, you know what, save 60 grand just by pulling my money out back then. I, I love hearing that from people. And uh, I wish there were more of them. So, but you can still be conservative with what you're bringing in today. And you can still begin to diversify. And the first thing you need to do is you need to diversify away from being 100% tax-deferred with your savings. This is asinine. Every financial advisor you'll talk to will say, have a 60- to 90-day emergency fund, right? And then they'll say, well, how much is your emergency fund? And you'll say, well, I have like 1000 bucks." They're like, yeah, well, you need to keep working on that. But then they'll allocate all your money into mutual funds to go into your, you know, your IRA. 
And they, they haven't done anything to help you build the emergency fund first. Most of them won't actually worry. That you, because you know what? They don't get paid on your emergency fund. <laughs> they just don't. So they'll say it because they're supposed to, but they won't, they won't lead you to it. You have to do it for yourself. You talk to them about gold. They don't want to talk to you about gold. You go out and buy gold. You put it in a safety deposit box. You keep it at your bank. Or you put it in a firebox. You keep it in your house. You talk to them about silver. They don't want to talk about that. They'll tell you, that's a terrible investment. Yeah, the guy that bought gold in 1990, he's feeling real bad right now. <laughs> he's feeling better than the guy that had us all his money in the stock market. I'm not saying put all your money in gold either. I'm just saying, like, you have to start diversifying. Put 5 to 10% of your savings in gold and or silver. And sometimes silver is a lot easier to do. Because when you do silver, you can buy smaller increments and you can, it's easy. It's hard to go out, right? Let's say that you're saving, uh, $200 a month. Well, 10% of that's 20 bucks. So 20 bucks should be going into gold or silver. Well, 20 bucks worth of gold. I mean, you, you can put it on the head of a pin. But 20 bucks worth of silver, you can go out and you can buy a little handful of silver coins at your local coin shop and put them in a, in a jar, put them in a box, put them somewhere safe. You can do that for your, you know, your entire working life if you want to. And you'll have a basis in value because you're buying U.S. coins. So maybe you go out and buy um, two ounces of silver, which would be about $2 face value. So you've invested $20 in the silver, okay? Now, that $20 in silver has a value because of the silver, $20. But at least 10% of your 5% or your 10% you're already hedging is double-hedged. It, it, it sounds confusing. It's not. 20 bucks in silver against your 200 It's a 10% hedge. Instead of being in the stock market, instead of being in cash, it's in silver. Makes sense? It's hedged. Right? Now... It's $2 in coins. It's eight silver quarters, pre-64 quarters. Its lowest value it can go to is $2. It has a secondary 10% hedge. It's one of the safest things in the world you can do with a small portion of your money. The other thing you have to understand is we, you know, people are like, oh, real estate's on the floor. It's in the tank. It's down. It's down, 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 down. It's going to go up again. And this is a great time to buy a house. As long as you don't have to go into some stupid debt to get one. And the good news is, because so many people did it and we had so many problems because of it, right now you can't get in a house if you're an idiot. You can't buy a house if you're an idiot. It's almost impossible to buy a house you can't afford right now. So if you can go out and find a house you can buy, you can get approved for, you can probably afford it. And you can buy so much more today than you could have bought two years ago. So much more. Local North Texas market. I know there's a lot of new listeners here. We haven't fallen as far, so the deals aren't as good, but they're out there. I bought my house when it was supposed to be good times. It listed for 150. I got it for 120. And, and I would have paid 150 for it if I had to. There's always deals if you look for them. And the reason that property is something to own is as inflation rears its head, property increases in value. That's why, you know, some of these slick salesmen that sell these mortgages will tell you the problem with saving your money to buy a house is as you're saving your money, the value of the property is increasing faster than you can save. And to some degree, they're right because of inflation. And it's during that inflationary cycle where it seems like you're never going to catch up and people panic and they freak out and then they buy in at the top of the market because they, they, it's Oh my God! What's it going to do? That's why people did this. That's why we have a mess. So now's the time. 
if you have cash free. Now's the time to look at buying a second piece of property. Four or five acres out in, you know, uh, just west of here, out in the, the, uh, the scrub oaks with a travel trailer on it. It'll be worth something. It's never going to be worth nothing. It's a good time to diversify that type of investment. It's a good time to buy vehicles. Not really expensive Lexuses, but good solid utility vehicles that are going to last you 10, 20 years. Deeply depressed in value. The, the thing that I'm trying to get across to you is what you need to be purchasing with your income is assets. And if you do that, you hedge against the inflationary aspect of the economy. So if you go out and buy a house today, you're more likely to be in a house 10 years from now than you are if you wait five to try to buy one. So it makes sense to buy when you can as long as the market is not screwed up. And, and frankly, two years ago, the market was screwed up. It was just totally wrong. We went through a correction that went awry and went nuts. But you don't have to ride this roller coaster anymore. All you have to do is grab control, and you have to understand how the money supply works. If you don't understand that, that's why I spent so much time on it today. If you don't understand how it works, then it's like trying to teach somebody to build a fire that doesn't believe that flame plus fuel plus oxygen makes a fire. They'll never get a fire going because they'll never stick to the system of building a little pyramid with you know or a little teepee with a little tinder underneath it and getting that going. First, they try to light a log. Seems like that's all you need, right? I mean, flame, log, light it, it won't light. But if they believe in the system, small to large, airflow, control, that type of thing, it's easy to teach them to build a fire. Well, I have to teach you today about the system of economics that our country is being run on. And hopefully you've learned something. And hopefully it will impact your decisions going forward. Hopefully you're going to make smarter decisions with your money. Hopefully you will understand that it doesn't matter what the TV tells you, that as long as we continue on the path that we're on economically in this nation, the nation will be enslaved to debt. And then that lets you know right away you have to move outside of that system of dependence. You have to live differently than everybody else. You don't want your family to be a microcosm of the federal government, and most families are. Credit cards, car notes, mortgages you can't afford, and you look at the average American family today, and they have over $20,000 of consumer debt, but they have another average of $60,000 in car payments. $60,000 at debt against vehicles, and a median home price of a quarter million dollars, which most people are completely in debt to. That means that the average American family has about $300,000 in debt today. And the ones that don't, most of them are working really hard so that they can get there too. That's their goal. They look at the guy down the street from them that has a better job and makes more money, and they say, look, he has a Lexus, and he has an Escalade. I want one too. Look at his big house. I want one too. Look at that big, beautiful Skeeter bass boat. I want one too. And they don't think about the payments underneath them. Even when you know you, when you're working really, really hard for very little money, that's when you're actually aware of reality. And you look at people like that and you shake your head. But in time, 
you'll become successful, as we call it in the United States, and you go in one step at a time. No one that wakes up, one day zero debt, next day 300K in debt. It starts with a car. starts with a little entry-level car, a car that makes sense. Car payment's $200 a month. What could be wrong with that? I can work at McDonald's and afford that. I might as well get a new car on credit. And you pay for it for a while, and eventually you get out from underneath it, and somebody sends you a credit card in the mail, and you put that little card in your wallet, and you activate it, and it only has a $500 credit limit, and, you know, what could go wrong? $500, I can pay it off if I want to. It's a convenience, for Pete's sake, at 18.5% from Capital One, who's looking out for you. And eventually that $500 Capital One credit card turns into a Platinum MasterCard with a $25,000 limit on it. And when you get up to $18,000 of debt on it, they realize that you might be catching on. But if you're still paying your bills, they send you a letter in the mail that says your credit limit has been raised to $29,000. Keep spending. Here's some blank checks to fill out if you don't want to use the card. Then you go out and you go to buy a house and you say, well, I got a lot of credit card debt. They're like, are you paying your bills? You're like, yeah. They're like, okay, your credit score is great then. Here, you can afford a $300,000 house. I can't afford a $300,000 house. house. Yes, you can. Look, government says you can. Look, this is loan available to you. Right now, here, sign here. And then... The guy that started out working minimum wage, worked his way up the ladder, and fought so hard for the American dream, gets the American dream and has a half a million dollars worth of debt tied to him for the rest of his life. And he ends up working for the company store, just like his great-grandfather did when he came here to be a coal miner. Your great-grandfather didn't want that for you. Your great-grandmother didn't want that for you. They didn't want you working for the company store. They wanted you to have freedom. That's what we're talking about today. Stay away from those shiny things. Stay out of debt. Then you'll be able to do all the other things that we plan on talking about in the coming week. Next week, uh, I'm going to be doing a show tomorrow, but I'm going to tell you about next week first. Next week, I'm going to do a show on Bug Out Back. If you haven't done that in a long time, 72-hour emergency kit. Next week, I'm going to do another show on food storage. Next week, I'm going to do a show on agriculture and permaculture. Those are three shows planned for next week. Tomorrow, I am doing a listener call-in show. I have shut the company down. Everybody is off for Good Friday at my office. That means I'll be home. I'll be going through some of my tax paperwork because I have to go see my accountant on Saturday. Yay, pay the government. But because of that, I'll be home. I won't be in the car. I will be answering your questions on the air tomorrow, but they are pre-recorded questions. I don't have people call in live. I have quite a few questions, but if you call 866-65-THINK-TODAY and you ask a really great thought-provoking question today, you'll have a good chance of being on tomorrow's show. So again, the number to call in, 866-65-THINK. Provoke some thought, folks. Think. That's why the number is that, you know, that way. So anyway, folks, I'm going to wrap things up there. I want to welcome all my new listeners. Those of you that came here to learn about, you know, more fundamental survival skills, go back and listen. There's 120 hours of that stuff already available to you on the survivalpodcast.com. Consider joining the member support brigade in addition to videos on things like, you know, how to grow your garden better and how to fight people that are seven feet tall. 
one. I got a guy that's close to seven feet tall that I uh, use for some martial arts demonstrations uh, back there. Uh, you'll be supporting the show and the work that we do here. Uh, the, and there'll also be every episode ever recorded in zip files, nice and convenient for you to download back there. Get involved with the forum. Trust me, the fundamental skills are here, but we have to move around and stay diversified with our topics. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent